welcome to this bonus episode of A Coffee With, the CME podcast where I sit down with some of pharmacy's most inspirational women to find out how they got to where they are today. I'm Emily Stern, a reporter at CND, and in each episode, I speak with a different woman in pharmacy to chat about their career highs and lows, their aspirations and fears, and everything in between. I'm thrilled to welcome our guest today, Leila Hambeck, the CEO of the Association of Independent Multiple Pharmacies. In a pharmacy career spanning almost two decades, prior to joining AIM, Leila spent almost 10 years at the National Pharmacy Association, where she served as its Chief Pharmacist and Director of Pharmacy for four years. So welcome, Leila, and thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, you're most welcome. So I'd like to start off by taking you right back to the beginning and talk about really why you chose pharmacy in the first place. What was it about pharmacy that interested you? To be honest, Emily, my first choice was dentistry. So I went to learn about dentistry in terms of like um, how it was. And at the beginning, when I started the course, it was a lot to do with understanding what was to come once you're a dentist, as a professional dentist. So during the first six months, we went through various different courses and things in terms of like what was to come. And then I realized that, oh dear, (laughs) I don't think this is what I want to go into. And it was mainly to do with the fact that there's a lot of carving and things like that involved. And I thought that I'm not really good at that. And I wanted to choose a profession where I would have the opportunity to speak with people, communicate and also be within the healthcare and we have quite a few people in my family that are doctors, so I didn't want to follow that, but I wanted to do something within healthcare. Pharmacy was a natural choice, and once I started, I really liked it and, and continued. Could you give our listeners an overview of your pharmacy career so far? Yes, so I graduated at the beginning of 2004 and started working in patient information centres. Mm-hmm. So my career in pharmacy really started in Sweden. And I started working, you know, with the then Apotheket Abe that ran various different information centers. And I was working in the biggest one, providing information and advice to doctors, to other healthcare professionals, but also to patients with regards to medicines and side effects, impact of medicine, prescribing, and so on. I then got approached by UK pharmacy, some of the bigger chains. And they were looking for bringing pharmacists over to the UK. And so I looked at that in terms of the sort of opportunities that were available. And my husband is German, so we're thinking, you know, okay, so if we move to UK, nobody will have the upper hand. So we both speak English, you know, we are away from the in-laws and, you know, let's start fresh. And so I accepted an offer from the Denmark Pharmacy. And because I was from the north, well, obviously Sweden, then I accepted a role in Newcastle. So I started as a branch manager in Newcastle without knowing much about pharmacy laws. So I had to really learn whilst I was doing things. And basically one thing led to the other and I progressed into becoming an area world manager and uh, area pharmacist to look after several branches. And then most pharmacy became Alliance and it became Boots and I moved into the independent sector. Um, to work for uh, a, a chain of uh, a pharmacy group with, with four pharmacies in, in the north. I did pretty well there you know, during the time I was there in terms of like introducing services and, uh, and so on and recruiting, you know, more business for the business and, and so on. So, and then the opportunity came up within the MPA in terms of like a head of information services at the MPA. And 
at that point, obviously, me having a background in information provision before in my former role at uh, in Sweden, I applied for it, and you know, I understand several people applied for it, and I managed to get the job. And it was a time where I was looking to move south anyway because of the airports uh, being so closer to the family, you know, being able to travel easier without having to stop over at you know, another country. So yeah, we moved south, and I started my role with the MPA in, in 2010. And I worked for the MPA nearly 10 years in various different roles, you know, from head of information to then head of pharmacy services and then MPA's chief pharmacist director of pharmacy. And then I got approached by AIM to take up the role of, of the chief executive, which was great. I mean, having known and worked with some of the AIM members before, I really uh, wanted to work with them and, and, and get involved. So, um, yeah. Accepted that, and here I am. As head of pharmacy at the MPA and then director of pharmacy, what did those roles really entail? But those roles, you know, I had a lot of involvement with members, and so that's what I wanted. I wanted to be involved with the grassroots and make sure that what we did really reflected on what they needed. And at that time, the MPA was different in that we were really doing a lot of campaigns and there was good leadership involved within the MPA in that we were kind of listening quite a lot to what our members were saying. And that allowed me to kind of bring to my work what was happening on, on, on the ground to be able to tailor our services and what we were doing, you know, toward the needs of our members. So when you were appointed the MPA's medicine safety officer in 2014, why was that role so important to you? That was very important to me in that uh, that was a new role. So at that point, it was just something that the MHRA and NHS had together. And I was then approached by the NHS to be a medicine safety officer for independence with less than 50 branches. And that was all about patient safety and as someone who's been involved in, in, in clinical pharmacy quite a lot, that kind of close to my heart. And being able to represent so many pharmacies, you know, that was a big role. And so I introduced quite a lot of things in terms of like introduced this regular newsletters for superintendents and for members talking about, you know, what was happening and what they needed to know from a patient safety and from a regulatory perspective, making sure that they were kept up to date with all of that. And that was very important because that directly had an impact on patient safety. We campaigned quite a lot on, for example, look like sound alike stuff, you know, with MHRA brought, you know, a lot of issues that were in community pharmacy to the patient safety group to discuss. And the bulletins that I was producing, really, you know, analysing what was happening really went down with the superintendents and the contractors. So that was an important role for me. And when I started with AIM, that role kind of moved in that now AIM, we have our own medicine safety officer. One of our superintendents is representing AIM members, obviously those with 50 and less branches. Some of the AIM members have obviously more than that on the patient safety group. So the work of, of the patient safety kind of continues within this role as well uh, that I'm having. That's great. I guess what lessons have you taken forwards from your work at the MPA into your work now at AIM? I was fortunate at the time, you know, that I was working at the MPA when we had the campaign and we were working directly with patients to kind of raise the profile of community pharmacy. We were very much involved in terms of like with that sort of campaign and pushing forward the great work that community pharmacy teams are doing. And I realized very quickly that it's very important to have the public with us in terms of like what, what we're doing because we're very much involved in the petition capturing. 
I also realized the importance of leadership and what impact it has on people in terms of like when you work under one leader, you know, that is a good leader, how it kind of brings out uh, your strength. And when you actually work under a, a not so good leader, how it kind of impacts on you. And that is something that I'm taking on board quite a lot in terms of like moving forward, but also I'm a doer. So, you know, I, I would, now that I'm here with AIM, it's great that I'm working with people that are very open-minded and, and you know, I can learn a lot from them, but also I'm kind of allowed to just get on with things and do things and, you know, and bring the members with us and have them involved in a lot of things. Getting involved and achieving things, I think it's, it's something that I value a lot. Yeah, definitely. As a CEO, how would you describe your day-to-day job? Oh, where do I begin, Emily? <laughs> okay, so how do I describe my... It's, it's hectic, it definitely is. But it's good in, in a sense, because again, if you are a doer and, um, you know, and, and I have to say, I have a great team around me, you know, our members, you know, the team that I'm working with in AIM, and there's a lot of good going on. I do a lot of work with the national media and you or, or yourself being within the media, you know how, <laughs> how everything needs to happen fast. So that is kind of, you know, keeping in touch of, in, 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 on top of that making sure that we push out as much as possible, um, you know, the benefits of community pharmacy or the greatness of community pharmacy and also our vision and our strategy in terms of like what we want our sector to do in the future. The politicians see that, the decision makers. It's something that is, is really good and also, you know, liaison on a regular basis with our members to make sure that we are keeping our foot in the right place and, and representing them effectively. I also love the fact that the work that I do is kind of recognized by the fact that our membership is growing, that a direct well done to the work that AIM does by our membership growing. And I value that a lot because at the end of the day, it's all about those contractors and making sure that we represent them the best way. Over the last two and a half years, throughout the pandemic, have you seen a change in how community pharmacy is viewed through the work you've done with the media? Yes, definitely. I mean, we've managed to really raise the profile of community pharmacy, but it's the whole of the sector, you know, what, the great work that they have done. It's been hard not to notice what's happened and what they have achieved. I think there have been times where I have been really, really upset in that we see community pharmacy doing so much and then yet they're excluded from, you know, breeds. So they're excluded from this and that. And you kind of feel really frustrated in that you think that, well, look, we are doing all of this. Why haven't I mentioned us? Why haven't I said anything? Why are you not appropriately funding us? You know, why are you allowing, um, you know, pharmacists to go through this hardship when you can actually do something about that? You know, and you know patients would value that. You know that we are a solution to NHS. Why is this not happening? So it's just keeping banging on uh, around that. But I think the sector has done a brilliant job, Emily, and I know that you guys have reported on that as well. Uh, and, and I think for me, the sort of fluffy words that we hear from the decision makers and politicians, that's all great. That's all good. But we need action. We need to make sure that those words are translated into proper action to help our sector, to support our sector, to promote our sector, because we have not left any stones unturned. They've asked us to do services, we did public vaccination, we do flu service, we did all of these other services, part attention and so on, and we're smashing it. So the evidence is there. We need that support. Absolutely. So at the moment, what are your immediate priorities in the role currently? 
My immediate priorities are, well, we have a vision and strategy within AIM, which we agreed with AIM board and members right beginning when I, when I started. And that was to ensure that community pharmacy is right at the top of the agenda and we seek the best outcome for community pharmacy. And the strategy around that is the kind of what we are currently doing in terms of like, you know, the sort of activities that we're doing around representation. And I'm clear about what I need to do and I'm, you know, working hard for that. I think this is, again, something that I hear from across the sector, single independence to the, to the big guys, that AIM is doing some really good job, you know, and we are doing some really good work in raising the profile of the profession out there and, you know, banging on the right doors and as on. So, I'd like to focus on that and I'd like to focus on that strategy mm-hmm. moving forward. So what would you say are really the biggest issues affecting the sector at the moment? Well, the biggest issues are, well, our sector is changing all the time. I think the biggest issue is a lack of recognition, which then leads to loads of other issues. So, for example, I've, I've talked about the lack of level playing fields, for example various different levels and that for example the way that community pharmacy you know has some lack of level playing field in regards to for example online pharmacy the, the way that community pharmacy has lack of level playing field with for example the gp recruitment and, you know the mm-hmm. fact that they get funding do that and we don't and i believe that our sector obviously has gone you know a long way and done a good job in terms of embracing services and more and more pharmacies are doing those services whether it be financial services or private services but i think you know there are some challenges in that you know funding is, is not meeting the needs of the farms at the moment and it's unfair the workforce matters in that um again that lack of playing field that i mentioned in that we don't get the relevant funding to be able to put toward the workforce as much as we want to our members are looking at innovative ways of working moving forward to make sure that they remain competitive and relevant to patients uh, and, and deliver that patient care that you know that that we want to see in you know that patients want to see in the century. So I think the decision makers need to really look at pharmacy and give us that recognition and recognize our value. And I think that has to happen soon before it's too late. How would you feel is the best way for that to happen? Well, it's listening to what people are saying, listening to the constituents, listening to patients, looking at the evidence. You know, the evidence speaks for itself in terms of like what community farmers has achieved and continues to achieve. Um, it's, uh, you know, it, it, evidence is there in that pharmacy, you know, plays a big role within their health and inequality areas and, you know, within social care. In that, you know, during the pandemic, the only people, a lot of people could talk to were the pharmacy teams. Um, the fact that a lot of uh, people come in support of community pharmacy um, as their local pharmacy, um, you know, these are all out there. And it's just listening to that and doing something about it. You know, we, we, we hear all these great words, which is appreciated. However, actions will need to happen now. I would like to take you back to reflect on your career so far. And I'd really love to know, what do you consider some of your career highs? Um, <laughs> One thing that I reflect on in terms of like that has been good in that I came to the UK as a kind of a person who didn't know much about UK pharmacy, really. I uh, started in Newcastle and most of the time I didn't understand what people were saying <laughs> because of the Geordie accent. I love people in Newcastle. They're just some of the kindest and, and funniest people 
Well, when I came to Newcastle, Emily, I thought everyone, because uh, I'd watched, for example, Pride and Prejudice and all the movies and they all spoke, you know, with a different accent. And I thought, oh, but in Newcastle, <laughs> it was a different. So getting over that and then moving on to various different levels and getting where I am today as someone who came to this country without knowing anything about pharmacy, I think is a good achievement. I think as well that the fact that I have been able to really work closely with those who I represent and across the board, um, I think I value that a lot in that people feel that they can talk to me from all over the sector, feel that you know they can let me know what's going on and they can count on me to move forward with the needs of occurring pharmacy. So that is in itself a big boost to my, um, I would say, confidence and yeah. And, and and so on and, and, and allows me to want to do more. So yeah, I think these are kind of the, the highlights of my career. And obviously working with AIM is a great thing in that it allows me to be who I am and move things forward at pace. Definitely. On the flip side then, what do you feel has been the biggest challenge you faced in your career so far? Oh, again. <laughs> yeah, it's been a lot of challenges. Um, I think... Um, Obviously, you know, one of the biggest one is, is this lack of recognition for our sector. And, you know, no matter how, how hard you work and you want to put the point across, you kind of feel very deflated when things don't move forward and people fail to see our sector the way we see it. It's got a lot of potential and it could be a big solution to NHS if it's funded and supported and boosted in terms of like, you know, the things that we can do. So that is a, a challenge. And I think the other challenge is the way our sector is set up. I think, again, coming from a, a different culture in terms of like how we, we, we used to work, I think we could do without the politics. We could do without looking at, at ourselves, for, you know, putting out our own thing first and instead looking at the greater good. I, I think, yeah, the, you know, the politics sometimes is just so unnecessary, Emily. So uh, that I find challenging. Even in pharmacy, what's the biggest challenge you faced and how did you overcome that? A lot of times I have been, for example, the only woman in, you know, in many settings. When I was at the MPA, for example, I was the only female director. And I think, you know, it, it's, it's, it's one of those things, but I, I never looked at it in that way in terms of like I'm yeah. the only woman. I always looked at, you know, capability and what we can do and, and so on. And I think that is the, the, the fundamental thing around you know having the capable the right capable people around the table you know again the most challenging thing for me has been the unnecessary politics i just want to get on with the job and you know i'm aiming doing a great job at, at that but the, the sector politics i think is just it could do better in that pushing forward with things and less being less bogged down so looking back on your career what do you think has been the best and i'd love to know the worst career advice you've received? Well, again, it comes down to having good and bad managers. I've had it all, Emily, <laughs> in terms of like, you know, the things I have been told. So I have, for example, been criticized for being a woman and for my looks. And actually this came from a female manager, <laughs> you know, being told that I need to tone things down in terms of like the way I'm fighting for the sector and all of that. And again, this is in, in the past. But I think it comes down to how you meet those challenges. And sometimes you need to think about, okay, don't, well, well, in my case, I have thought about not allowing this to put you down in any shape or form. Um, and in fact, it makes you kind of stronger and wanting to do more. When you look back, is there a piece of advice you wish you'd been given at the start of your career that you weren't 
or like will you tell yourself that now yeah i wish at the beginning i had clearer understanding in terms of like how important self confidence is in, in managing things and my career would have been much much easier <laughs> if if i had a better belief in myself um because you fall down and you kind of start questioning yourself um and i wish somebody would have told me in the beginning that look you know don't take note of these things you you just you know move on and do things as you wish to do things and that self confidence was something that i could have done better with in the beginning so yeah i i i i would say to any pharmacist who is at the start of their career um that you know don't let anything that you know get you down you just believe in yourself and if it's the right thing then I really love to know what are some of your future pharmacy goals now. Obviously, I have from my perspective. I think continuing with that strategy in terms of like pharmacy out there and ensuring that the pharmacy and our profession in general gets a good recognition is something that I'd like to see as a pharmacist as well. I think it's enough now with our profession to not having that great recognition that we deserve. So we need, you know, that, that I want to work on, continue working on. and i want to also be able to give some time to my family i've got three children and sometimes as you know very busy person i think about okay how much time am i giving to them so it's it's important for me as well to balance that but yeah i'm i'm a pharmacist through and through and i chose this profession and i loved it from the moment i chose it and i want to make sure that it gets the best outcome that is kind of my thing you know as part of my career moving forward so who is a woman in pharmacy who you really admire and why also my answer emily has got to be the first woman in pharmacy who dared come out and do things and that is my identity and so you know during the time that, that she was working it must have been incredibly challenging you know for a woman and she was brave enough to do that and i think for that reason is my favorite. Thank you so much for speaking to us today. Really appreciate it. Well, you'll be speaking at Pharmacy Show. Um, I will be in October as well. Could you tell our listeners what you'll be up to there and what you're hoping to raise awareness of while you're there? Yes, so I will be chairing two panel discussions at the Pharmacy Show. One of them is around ICFs and also the pharmacy contract and funding. That is a very important topic at the moment in terms of like how we move forward in the future. everybody wants to know about where the pharmacy contract is going and where the funding is heading and what is happening within the ICFs and, and I think that's an important the second session is workforce and the big debates so that will be a panel session that I'm chairing and I'm hoping to bring together a diverse group of individuals that can really dissect what's happening and what needs to happen and where we are going in the future and put solutions out there in terms of like this is what we need to do to all work together. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that. These are important sessions and <laughs> important topics. I need to make sure that I chair them in the best way possible. That brings us to the end of our bonus episode. Thank you so much to Leila for speaking about her role as the CEO of the Association of Independent Multiple Pharmacies. How to tackle the biggest issues affecting the sector and her future pharmacy goals. For more news and updates on CND's Women in Pharmacy group, Please visit the CND community via our website, chemistsanddruggists.co.uk. As we mentioned, the CND team will be at the Pharmacy Show in Birmingham in October. Our stand, which is sponsored by Well, will be manned by CND throughout the event. It's opposite the career stage. We can't wait to see you there. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>